you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Kings 17.1. It seems like forever since we have been with Elijah. And we did all this setup time for this verse, and now I feel like we're starting all over again. But here we are, 1 Kings 17.1. Just by way of... uh, uh, intro and, and a little bit of review. It is ironic that Elijah's message that we're going to see here in 17.1 is about controlling the weather. Because uh, believe me, for the last couple, three weeks, I would have loved to be able to say that it will not snow except by my word. But uh, I'm not able to say that. Only God can, and that's what we're going to find out today. So take a look. If you look at uh, the chart above, this verse really splits down into two parts. And we looked at the first part several weeks ago. Elijah, the righteous prophet from Yahweh, versus Ahab, the rebellious king who is for Baal. And so all that, all that tension, all that confrontation is all in this verse, 1 Kings 17.1. And if you look at the verse... The first part introduces us to Elijah as a man sent from God. So look at that verse. The beginning of it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead. And also the first part of his message reflects who he is because he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. He is a man sent from God. He's a prophet who is a covenant mediator who has sworn to protect and serve the Lord and His covenant. But in this, in this uh, instance, Elijah is saying, Look, I have stood in God's presence on behalf of God's people. I have stood on behalf of God, in God's presence on behalf of God's people. That's a mediator. But look at the second part of the sentence. He says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so as a mediator, he's not only standing in God's presence on behalf of God's people, but he's standing before Ahab on behalf of God himself. And so he, the prophets are these mediators that stand between God and His people, and they protect and serve God and His covenant. And you see that definition there underneath there. We already taught through that. Now, what we want to look at today, we looked at the last message in this series. We looked at Elijah the man. Now we want to look at his message. And I just want to say this. There's nothing more important in times of apostasy, than loyalty to God's Word. There's nothing more important in times of apostasy where people are falling away and those who profess to know Christ are denying Him in life and word. There's nothing more important for us as the people of God than to be loyal to the Word of God. So let's look at what kind of message Elijah is, is speaking. What, is, what, what, what are the characteristics? And we're going to see five of them. Let's jump in here. The first thing you want to understand about this message, and believe me, listen, these are not just what I'm coming up with. This is what Ahab was supposed to understand. 
Okay, this is what Elijah, everything that he's saying is to communicate these five characteristics to Ahab and therefore also to us. So let's look at it. The first one is this. It is a message of divine revelation. It is a message of divine revelation. Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Remember, we, when we talked about Elijah, we don't learn anything about Elijah in this verse, really. Very little. We don't know hardly anything about him because what's important about Elijah is not him, but his God. And we learn much about his God. And so, two points under that that I want you to, to focus on, and that's this. Elijah is delivering a divine revelation on behalf of the living God, the promise-keeping Lord, the covenant-making God of Israel. In other words, he's introducing divine revelation. Why? Because he's a prophet, and he's not introduced that way, but it shouldn't be unexpected. And we already gave you the kings and the prophets handout, and so if you want to grab another one of those, we, it's, it's, it's a whole pattern in the book of Kings that when these... Kings are ungodly. God sends his prophet, and that's what Elijah is there to do. His role as prophet is not explained, but it should be understood. And and the reason it should be understood is God promised to send prophets all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18. Because in Deuteronomy 18, this is where the role and the function of a prophet is first revealed by God to His people. Deuteronomy 18, let's look at verse 15, begin in verse 15. This is the classic passage, introduction of what a prophet and what his ministry and how he functions in Israel. Now, in the Bible, whenever something is introduced the first time, you really want to pay attention to that because a lot of the basic things you need to know are revealed the first time something is revealed in the Bible. And here's the first time the prophet is revealed, and so we learn much. If you get this passage under your belt, then you'll understand prophets and prophecy. And you'll be able to detect when people are off on what a prophet is and what a prophet does. So Deuteronomy 18, look at verse 15. The Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see his great fire anymore, or I will die. So remember, God revealed himself there at the giving of the law on Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, and his glory and his holiness was so great, the people said, look, Moses, you go up and be our mediator, because it's a fearful, powerful thing to hear God speak to us. Boy, we should have that attitude every time we open the Word of God. It is a fearful, powerful, awesome privilege but a serious thing to have God speaking to us. And so that's why they had a prophet. Verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. They get it. 
I'm holy. I'm powerful. You need, sinful people need a mediator between uh, themselves and me. I will raise up a prophet from among you, from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my word. Now, here's the important part. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And that leads us to the second point. Elijah is a prophet who is sent from Yahweh and who stands in his presence to receive his words. So here's what I want you to see. When Elijah is saying, I stand in his presence, he's basically saying, as a prophet, through divine revelation, it's as though I'm in God's presence in his throne room. It's as though I am receiving the the commands and the words and the message directly from God himself from his throne. Remember we said to stand in someone's presence is to stand as a servant. And you're basically saying, your wish is my command. In this sense, your words are what I will say. Where you send me, I will go. What you tell me to say, that I will say. That's why we know this is a divine revelation. So what is Elijah trying to get across to Ahab, well, this is, the irony is really thick in this passage. Here he stands before the most powerful man in Israel, King Ahab, a man who is so powerful, so successful, that even Israel's enemies recognize him as a powerful king. He's standing in this guy's presence, and yet he says, I stand in, someone's great, in, in a greater king's presence. I stand in the presence of the living God, and what I'm sharing with you are not my words, they are His. That's a powerful thing. Continue. Keep looking. Look at verse uh, uh, 19 in Deuteronomy 18. Look at Deuteronomy 18. He says, well, let's look at 18, 18 again. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. Now look at verse 19. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is a divine revelation. It's coming from God. And those who choose to not listen to it will have to answer, not to the prophet, but to who? To God, the living God, who keeps his word to his people. So, that's the first thing I want you to see. That's the first thing God wants us to see. This is a divine revelation. And because it's of a divine revelation, the second characteristic is this. This is a message of prophetic conviction. So, it's a message of divine revelation that comes from God, but because it is divine revelation... It is also a message of prophetic conviction. And let me show you why I say that. It's prophetic conviction. Now notice, notice what it says. Elijah said to Ahab, this is back in 1 Kings 17.1, As the Lord, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely this is going to happen. 
basically what he's doing is, this is, he's swearing in God's name. He's swearing a divine oath. It is a prophetic promise before the living God and King Ahab. He's saying, before the living God, I swear before the living God, and I swear before you, Ahab, that such and such is going to happen. And he's swearing an oath. And these kind of, I I call them, I swear to the living God promises, I swear to the living God oaths, are found 14 times in First and Second Kings. In fact, at the last page of your notes, I gave you all 14 times of these oaths because they're important. But what's interesting is that out of the 14 times, more than half are by Elijah and Elisha. Am I saying, Dan, is that different? a little different? Okay. Eight times are by those guys, and all eight times... They say this, the God of Israel before whom I stand. There is no doubt that he is swearing as a prophet that what I'm about to say are not my words, they're God's words. They're God's words. And here's the point. Elijah is literally swearing that if this doesn't happen, if this isn't divine revelation, if this isn't doesn't really actually happen, then... I, I, I'm betting my life on it. Because if it doesn't happen, according to Deuteronomy 18, it's going to cost me my life. Basically, Ahab, I know you're going to want to kill me, but here's the thing. If this doesn't happen, you can kill me because I'm a false prophet. He's saying, look, I have conviction about this because I'm a prophet and I am betting my life on it, and because I'm betting my life on it, you ought to bet your own life on it, and you ought to repent and listen to what God is saying. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy. Kind of keep your hand in Deuteronomy 18, or your flip, or your finger, or your click. I don't know how you do that, which is why I don't like doing that. Put your finger there in Deuteronomy 18. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 18. Let's look at verse 20. We're reading through that passage. Notice verse 20. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And either die by God's people stoning them, or die because God's going to kill them. And that happens in the book of 1 Kings, by the way. There's false prophets in the book of 1 Kings whom God literally takes down. And so, basically, he's saying, by saying, look, by saying, as the Lord God, the God of Israel is, before whom I stand, surely, 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 this is going to happen. This is my prophetic conviction. Why? Because I know it's divine revelation and you should receive it as such. So let's look at number three, the third characteristic. This leads to the third characteristic, which is what's going to come next is a future prediction. Am I spelling that right? A future prediction. Now this is important because when people, listen to me now, when people deny the Word of God, the first thing they to do to the Bible is remove the future predictions. They want to remove 
the miraculous in the Bible. And therefore, they'll take all the predictions of Isaiah and say they were written after the events. They'll say all the things about Daniel were written after the events. So they date all these books really late because they don't believe in divine revelation. And they lack the conviction that God's words are God's words through human people. And therefore, they want to eliminate future prediction. And that's why that video, as good as it was, that I shared about a month ago now, talked about the prophets are not fortune tellers. Well, no, they're not fortune tellers like gypsies. But they are future predictors. And when anyone removes that aspect from God's ability to write a book with future predictions, then you know that you've got somebody that is a heretic. And I have an example of that uh, right there in your notes. So here's what I want you to see. Uh, first of all, look at 1 Kings 17.1. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, divine revelation, prophetic conviction, here it comes, surely, surely, there shall be, that's future, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, Again, if you've been listening to these weather reports, you know. I mean, how frustrating. I, I feel bad for weather people. It's not their fault. It's their job. But how frustrating, you know. And uh, some of them overpromise, Some of them under-promise. The bottom line is nobody knows what the weather's going to be except for God. And that's the point. So the only way... The only way Elijah is going to be able to make this promise is if it's divine revelation and if he's got the conviction that I am a prophet speaking God's word. So let's take a look at this. First of all, as the Lord's prophet, Elijah does both foretelling and forthtelling. He does both those things. And anybody, anybody that tells you prophets in the Bible don't do both of those, those things is either badly mistaken or trying to deceive you. So always remember this. Prophets do two things. They foretell, which is prediction, and they foretell, which is preaching. I mean, that's how I think of it. They predict and they preach. Make sense? Foretell, foretell. And I gave you that little heresy alert. So here's this dude, Stephen McKenzie, who I don't know, from Adam. But he wrote a book, which he shouldn't have wrote, written, How to Read the Bible, History, Prophecy, and Literature. And I just gave you his little blurb about prophecy there. And he totally denies that there's a future element. And then he takes the natural conclusion. I give him credit. He then says, and because there's no future element... There's no prediction of Christ in the Old Testament. Whoa. No prediction of Christ. It doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth. We know he's not predicted. But no prediction of Christ. I just want to emphasize that to you. So again, even though I enjoy the Bible Project videos, there's these little things that come along. And so I want you to be aware of those and to understand that this is a future prediction. And, by the way, Deuteronomy 18 makes it clear that anybody that says prophets don't predict the future are, you know, 
are just wrong, look at back at Deuteronomy 18. We're still working our way through Deuteronomy 18. Look at Deuteronomy 18, and let's go to verse 21. We've been reading down through. We're now at verse 21. And Moses, or God through Moses, says this, You may say in your heart, How will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Because he just said in verse 19, Look, if they speak the word and it's not of the Lord, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to take their life. And the people are, are, he's saying, now you may say in your heart, well, how do we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, now, just stop right there. That means they predict. I mean, it, it can't be any plainer. If they say this and it doesn't come true, okay, so prophets predict. Now, do they do a lot of preaching around these predictions? You bet they do. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel. But don't miss and never deny that prophets and prophecy and the Bible predicts the future. So notice what it says. It says, If the thing does not come about or come true, that is, the thing which the Lord has not spoken... Because what what he's saying is this, whatever the Lord says is going to happen will happen because he's got the authority, the power, the control to do it. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, spoken out of their own heart, spoken out of their own reasonly. You shall not be afraid of him. So when someone comes up to you and says, I've got a word of what God's going to do in your life, and it doesn't line up with Scripture, don't worry about it. You don't have to be afraid of them. Okay, so by implication, since Elijah is giving divine revelation and he has that prophetic conviction and he's making a future prediction, what should be Ahab's response according to Deuteronomy 18? Look at the last part of that verse. We just look at the last part of verse, uh, which verse is it? 22. What should be Ahab's emotional... Re- he, should be, he should be afraid, very afraid, right? He should be afraid, very afraid. Now, let's look at the prediction. Just how radical is this future prediction? Well, here's the, let me sum up his, his prediction. It ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more until I say so. It ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more until I say so. That's the prediction. How radical is this? Well, let's look at it. Number one, there's no dew or rain. This is a totally devastating, deadly drought. I mean, there's no way you're going to survive this. Okay, remember the land of Israel is a land that depends on rain. Okay, the Jordan River isn't sufficient that runs up north and south, isn't sufficient to water that land. There's no way to irrigate it. They are dependent on rain. And there's not only going to be no rain coming down from heaven, but there's no dew in the morning. And the dew there could be really thick. I mean, you ever been out, you know, on a dewy morning? I don't even understand the weather involved with that. But you walk out and you walk across the grass and what happens? 
I mean, your pant legs are just like soaked up to your knee, and it's just dew. It's just dew. Well, they had that kind of dew in that area. None of it's going to be there. These years. These years. Okay, it's one thing to not rain for a month. Well, let me put it this way. In that area of Israel, Israel had six months of summer drought and six months of rain beginning in October. So you, you basically lived on the edge every, every, all the time because you would go through, okay, we got six months of drought, but we can make it because it's going to rain in October. And then it would rain from October to March for six months, and then we know it's going to be you know, dry time. So all the harvesting, all the planting, all that took place during the rainy season so that they could plant and their, and their, their, their seed would grow. So when he says these years, you're talking, we already barely survived with six months of drought. Now we're going to have at least two years. But understand this, as of yet, neither Elijah nor Ahab knows how many years. They just know it's going to be at least two years. Well, let me tell you, one year without rain in that area was devastating. Two years was utterly deadly, and it ends up being three and a half years, but that's ahead of us. Now, except by my word. That's radical. That's radical. So here's what Elijah's saying. Ahab, listen up. All of Israel and the surrounding nations, for that matter, are dependent on me to know if it's going to rain. And the only reason Elijah could say that is not because he's an arrogant dude, but because he had prophetic conviction and it was divine revelation. He was taking God at his word. So that's huge. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. As the Lord's prophet, Elijah is predicting the promised judgment of the covenant-making, promise-keeping God of Israel. All he is predicting is what God had already promised would happen if God's people forsook God and His Word, there would be consequences. Well, what are those consequences? Uh, Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 11. We've already looked at this a couple times in this series, but turn back, Deuteronomy 11, because here's what I want you to see. Everything that's happening in Kings is a result of what God has already spoken. It's a result of what God's already spoken. So let's look at it. Look at Deuteronomy 11. Look at verse 13. In verses 8 through 12, he's telling them, look, you're going into a land that irrigation isn't going to work like Egypt. You're going to be dependent on me and rain from heaven to live. So verse 13, he says this, It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. This is what God wants. God wants their heart, okay? He wants their heart, and they've given their heart to Baal. That He will give the rain for your land in its season. The early rain that comes in October, and the late rain that came in March. The six months of rain. That you may gather your grain and your new wine, your oil. In other words, that you may live. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat, and you will be satisfied, and everything will be great. Verse 16, beware. 
that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, which is exactly what they were doing, Baal, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and He will shut up the heavens, so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. And then he launches into verse 18 and says, Now, impress my words on your, peop- on your children, so that you keep trusting. My word rules. Know it. Love it. Live it. Give your heart to me and show it as you obey my word. Deuteronomy 28, the, the end of Deuteronomy, here's what God says. The heaven which is over your head will be bronze, bronze for judgment. And the earth which is under you, iron. There's no planting. There's no yielding. Bronze above, iron below. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. Boy, it just makes my... I just need a drink after reading that. Powder and dust. Mm. Boy, that's good water. Mm. No water. Bronze and iron. Think about that. And he says, from, he- from heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Whoa. Whoa. All Elijah is doing is as a man who loves God, he loves God's word, he knows God's word, and all he's doing is predicting the promised judgment. Now, what does these years mean? Well, here's a couple... I. I I I wouldn't uh, take a bullet for what I'm about to tell you because we don't really know exactly when he said it. But uh, listening to the best scholars and thinking through this, here's what I think is going on. When, When he's saying these years, first of all, as I've already said, Ahab and even Elijah, they don't know how long it's going to be. So what does that do? It does what God wants it to do. It means they need to look up and say, God, we need you. God, we better go back to your word. God, we better repent and and, and obey because we don't know when it's going to rain again. We just know it's not going to rain and it's going to be these years. But we better start having a relationship with you. Do you understand the reason God doesn't unfold everything in your life is so that you'll be dependent on Him? You'll stay in His word? You'll trust Him? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall make your path straight. He shall direct your paths. But here's what we know. What does these years mean? I believe, and uh, Old Testament dude Leon Wood, who has a great little book, very readable. You could all read it and enjoy it on Elijah. That's really been the best that I've read. He believes that Elijah is coming before uh, Ahab after the six months of the normal drought. Okay, does that, does that make sense? So they have six months of drought, right? Six months of drought, which is from uh, April to September. And then they have six months of rain, the early rain and the latter rain, which is basically October to March. 
And so what Leon Wood suggests is that Elijah comes right when they would expect what? Rain. Because if he came back here, then, well, I, you know, I don't know. It's not supposed to rain. What's the big deal? Why should we listen to you? So I really agree with Leon. I think Elijah is coming right when they're like, okay, it's been six months, but rain's coming. And Elijah says, it ain't going to rain no more, no more. Ain't going to rain no more until I say so. And so they've got, and it's going to be these years. Now, we know from the New Testament and we know from 1 Kings, well, we know from 1 Kings that three years later, God said to Elijah, it's going to rain. But we know in the New Testament, it says it was three and one half years without rain. So I think that kind of supports this idea, okay? Bottom line is, what, Eli- what Leon Wood points out, and I think this, I agree with him, is that Elijah came and said, you're expecting, now is when you expect rain. And guess what? It's not going to rain. And then, three and a half years later, he says, or three years later, counting, I think the New Testament is counting these six months. Three years later, he comes back and he said, you know what? Now it's time that it's not supposed to rain, and guess what's going to happen? It's going to rain. So in other words, God, I think, is eliminating any opportunity to say this is chance. You know, you don't have to be a prophet to say it's not going to rain for six months here in October or in uh, April. And you don't have to be a prophet to say, hey, in October, though, it's going to rain. But to say as a prophet in October in that part of the land, it's not going to rain and then finally say it rains, and when it does, it's in the drought period, that's really radical. And I think that's what's going on. There would be no dew or rain for three more years until the Lord tells Elijah otherwise. Here's the bottom line. You say, well, I'm not really interested in the rain patterns of Israel. Well, you ought to be. Because King Ahab, he's basically saying to King Ahab, you and your kingdom are dependent on my word as the prophet of the Lord. And so here's what I want you to understand. It doesn't change today. This is God's word and he's spoken it. And we are dependent on it. We're dependent on this book. God rules by his word. So every day, every week, every month... Every year that we're not in this book, we're not depending on God. And we have no clue what He's trying to work in our lives. And I say that not to shame you, but to get the application of this message. We are dependent on God and His Word. Can I get a... Amen. amen. But that means we got to be in it, and we got to know it. So that brings me to the fourth characteristic, and it's this... This is a message of faithful confrontation. This is a confrontation. This is a faithful confrontation. Why do I say that? The Lord is being faithful to the glory of His character and the good of His covenant people. He's being faithful to the glory of His character and the good of His covenant people. You say, how can... You know, I mean, we're talking... 
three and a half years of drought. What's going on during that time? A whole lot of what? Death. And we're going to see that starting next week. We're going to see the stories of people who are down to their last crumb of bread. People, uh, we're going to see Elijah himself cannot live and sustain unless God sends ravens and uh, has people provide. So what's going on is God's doing this. God's basically saying, look, when I, when I, when I reveal my word, when I gave you my laws and my instruction in the Old Testament, I wasn't kidding. I am the ruler of all things, and I rule through my word. And so I'm going to protect my glory. Because you're disobeying me, now there's going to come curses and consequences in judgment. But he's also doing it for the good of his people, because what does he want his people to do? What's he want them to do? Does he want them to die? No, what's he want them to do? Repent. He wants them to repent and uh, return back to him. And so he's like, look, I am going to take you through hard times to get your attention back on me, which is for your good. So are you going through hard times right now? Are you going through hard times? Are you going through a trial right now? Understand this. God is wanting to reveal His glory to you through your trials, and He's wanting for your good for you to turn your face back up to Him and off of the things of this world. Off of the things of this world. And you know what? God will take you to the brink of death to get your attention not because he's a sadist, a, Mac, a, 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 a guy that enjoys seeing you suffer. I can't say that word right now. He's doing that because he loves you. And he wants to get your attention. Well, there's more we could say here, but let's go to number five. So really, well, oh, let me say this before we go. It's a confrontation of Ahab. Now, this is what's interesting. In this verse, he confronts Ahab... And yet, Ahab doesn't say anything. Ahab doesn't do anything. He is, the king, he is one of the most powerful kings in the world. And he's not even a player in this verse. Why? Because who's the real king? Yahweh, the Lord. And whose word matters? Yahweh's, the Lord's. Isn't that beautiful? So he's confronting Ahab. And he's saying, Ahab, you need to repent. And you need to... Uh, turn away from Baal and return to the Lord. But it's also a confrontation of Baal. Because remember what Baal is. Baal is the storm god. Baal is the god that rides on the chariot of the clouds. He's the one that being, brings rain. So it's a confrontation of not only the, the, uh, the human king, but of the false god that's dead, lifeless, and cannot control the weather. And so really, number five, this is a message of gracious invitation. It's gracious invitation. Judgment, the message of judgment, is really a gracious invitation to repent before greater judgment falls and the wrath of God is poured out. Because, listen, if they don't repent now, it's going to be worse than no rain. They're going to be conquered and taken into exile. 
And it happens because they don't repent. So let me give you four reasons. What do I have here? Four, yeah, four reasons why this is a gracious invitation. So think about this. First of all, could the Lord have already destroyed Israel for all their ungodliness? Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's Ahab. He's risen, and he remember he's the mo- he won the biggest sinner contest of all the kings, and yet he's ruling longer than anyone up to this time. So God could have already took him out. Remember the one king was it Zimri that ruled seven days. This guy's already had a ton of grace. Number two, the Lord had already been extremely long-suffering in not pouring out His wrath on Ahab in the northern kingdom. So, for how I've forgotten now how many years He's been ruling, but it's been a while. And guess what? It's been raining on people who didn't deserve the rain. Blessings have been coming on people who did not deserve one drop. And that's us too, right? That's us too. Number three... The Lord did not have to send Elijah with this message of coming judgment. The Lord could have just said, it's not going to rain no more. And I'm not going to tell you why, and I'm not going to tell you when or who to go to to see it rain again. God didn't have to send the prophet. So he said, yeah, but he's bad news. Yeah, but the bad news leads to the good news if you repent, okay? Number four, the Lord graciously chose to send Elijah with this undeserved, merciful invitation to repent before it was too late and greater judgment fell on them. And so it's it's amazing. Uh, I have some passages there. Our God is a gracious God. But He is a holy God. And if you're living contrary to His Word, if you profess to know Christ and you're living contradictory to God's Word, and you're still breathing, that's because God's gracious. God is being gracious. And He's inviting you to do what? To repent of your sin, come back to Him, trust Him, get in a relationship with Him so that you can enjoy His goodness and His grace. So let me say this to you. Aren't you glad Yahweh is our God? Aren't you glad that this is our God? Aren't you glad? So let me give you some lessons to learn. There's there's five of these, and I'll let you. But let me say this. The first lesson I want you to learn from this passage is this. We don't need prophets anymore because we have what the prophets said in the Word of God. Okay? And let me say this. Elijah is not getting new revelation. He's getting revelation regarding what God had already recorded and written down through Moses. So here's the thing. We don't need the gift of prophecy today. You don't, we don't need a human fortune teller because we have the Word of God 1 Timothy 3, 16, uh, 15 through 17. Everything that Elijah's doing to Ahab, the Word of God does to us. It confronts us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it instructs us. Okay? So get in the Word of God. Secondly, seeing people come to repentance requires both speaking the Word to them and praying the Word for them. So do you have people in your life that 
you, you know need to come back to Jesus. Do what Elijah did. He spoke the word to them, but according to James, he prayed the word for them. And so we tend to do one or the other. I want to pray for my friends or family who need to come, or, or co-workers. I pray, I pray, I pray, but we never speak. Or we have the tendency to always be speaking at them with the wrong heart because we're not praying the word for them. Isn't that good? Elijah's not just this crazy prophet. He's also a man of prayer. And we should be that too. Number three, the Lord is still warning rebels of his coming certain judgment because he doesn't desire any to perish. Listen, judgment is coming. And if you're living in disobedience, there is judgment. There are consequences. And if you haven't felt them yet, and you're like Ahab, man, I'm on top of my world. I'm the king of my life. Things are going good. God's okay. I'll show up when I need to. But I I can just live my life. Understand that God is long-suffering, and He's showing you grace. But there is a day of, of reckoning. And so, number four, run to the true king. Here's the good news. Basically, all of us are like Ahab. We've broken God's law. We are unfaithful. Our heart is not devoted to him. And if it was left to us, all we would receive is judgment. But Jesus has come, and he lived the obedient life that you and I could never do. And he suffered the judgment on the cross that we all deserve. Not just no rain, but wrath upon him and he rose from the dead and he's the true king not ahab and he's the greater prophet not elijah and he is the priest who mediates between us and a holy god so run to jesus today based on his word run to jesus and you can receive grace, forgiveness, His blood will cover your sin. But the goodness is, you'll have a relationship with Him where you can walk with Him through life's difficulties. Is that not good news? Man, that's good news. That is very good news. So, Jesus is our answer. Well, think about it. God's Word, not only to Ahab, but to you, it's divine revelation. We should have a conviction that it's God's Word and it's true. We should understand that all that He promises and predicts will come true, both judgment and salvation. And God's Word, listen, the reason we don't like coming to it is it confronts us. Every time I come to this book, I get confronted. Every time. And if I have a yielded heart, then I'm okay with that. And if I don't have a yielded heart, I shut this book and I go, I don't need that for a while until there's no rain in my life. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I better go back to God's Word, right? And then I see in it a gracious invitation to repent of your sin, return to me, do so by faith in Jesus Christ, and there will be blessings. Not not every day is a blessing, It's the future kingdom that's coming. But I can go through, listen, I can go through any trial if I know I'm going through it with him. Amen? And that's the blessing. I don't know how other people do it. I don't know how other people make it through this fallen world 
without a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it is hard. It, it, it is impossible, it is hard, and it will destroy you and destroy the ones you love. But aren't you glad we can run to Him? Amen? Man, that's good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for being a promise-keeping God. Thank You for being a God who is alive and speaks and reveals Your will and Your character and Your promises. Thank You for sending Your Son to live the life we could never live, but we should live. We must live. Thank you for him dying the death that we deserve, but we could never pay for our sins. Thank you for the king who rose, is reigning at your right hand, and is coming again. Lord, if there's anyone here that's playing with sin, if there's anyone here that is professing Christ and yet living an unchristlike life with deliberate disobedience, Lord, may they repent and receive your grace, and receive your forgiveness, and be restored into a right relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me just say, these are all heavy themes. And if you want help, encouragement, or shepherding in your own life, how this relates, hey, don't hesitate to reach out to me or even someone in our class. So uh, these are good things. God wants to do a work in our lives. So let's worship Him upstairs.